0: Hey Logo Geeks, it's Ian Padgett here and I'm back with another podcast that's created to help you make a living designing logos. Today, we're going to be joined by Nadia Castro to discuss her approach for designing minimal logos. But first, I want to give a shout out to The Perfect Match, which is a creative challenge from Adobe. That challenge involves creating a mood board design. And by simply creating one and entering, you will be rewarded with a $50 gift voucher. So, if you want to take part and claim that voucher, first of all, head to theperfectmatch.co forward slash play and then choose a brand name from the provided list. Take 30 minutes or so out of your day to create a mood board using Adobe Stock Images and then place your entry. And, like I said, by simply entering, you're going to be given a $50 gift card. But on top of that, if your mood board communicates the brief clearly, you could become a contestant on Adobe's monthly live game show for a chance to win $1,000. And on top of that, throughout September 2022, you could also win a Wacom tablet. Plus for each entry submitted on top of the $50 that you're going to be getting, Adobe will also donate $25 to the National Partnership for Women and Families. So by entering, you're going to be giving to charity in the process. So to learn more about this and to enter to claim your $50 gift voucher, head to theperfectmatch.co forward slash play. So as you're probably aware, I like to actively seek out and follow great logo designers and one of those people that I follow is Nadia Castro who often shares really simple minimal logos. I've really enjoyed following her work for some time now um, but I was reminded by her work recently because I noticed she was on the jury for the most recent logo lounge book so I thought it would be a great opportunity to reach out, invite her on the podcast and she kindly agreed. So Nadia is a London-based graphic designer who works full-time as a freelance designer for Loyal Casper which is actually a creative branding agency in New York. So I was keen to find out how that arrangement works but one of the main topics I really wanted to talk to her about is her approach for creating very minimal logos, which is something she's really good at. So on the last episode, I had Jessie Mays and Eve uh, come on to talk about illustrative logos. So I thought it would be great in contrast to have a conversation with somebody who's really good at those very simple, clean, minimal logos to find out how they would approach a project in contrast. So in this interview we're going to be talking about that which is later in the interview Uh, but we start out talking about how she started out as a graphic designer, her freelance life working with loyal Casper and more. So let's get into this, here is the interview with Nadia Castro. Nadia I've I've come across your work on uh, I think it was Instagram and uh, a a few years back, and I've really enjoyed what you've done. And I also saw that you was invited to uh, Logo Lounge as well. And I was thinking, you know, this is someone I need to get on the uh, podcast uh, to talk about your work and everything that you're doing, but. Something I'm, I'm keen to do with people uh, when I interview them is learn a, a little bit about their background and how they got into graphic, de- uh, graphic design, because everybody has a different backstory. So would you mind sharing with us how you um, originally got into graphic design and we can go from there? Yeah, definitely. So, um, well, I guess I wasn't quite tuned into
1: the design world until I was in university, um, I, was, I was a very creative kid, but um, it was more geared towards other types of arts like film and television and writing. So when I was at university, um, our department shared different courses. One of them was music and the other one was design. And I was studying media and I didn't know much about um, design back then. You know, I was in the course to um, pursue a career in film. So that's when I first started learning about graphic design. We learned a lot about web design. So the tools, Photoshop at the time, Freehand and um, Dreamweaver. I don't know if they still exist. I, think I,
0: I remember when I was at college, I don't think there was like a graphic design thing. I So I, I, I relate with this. And, and I I remember media studies being one of the Uh, main things that you would go into if you was more creative and it was more like you say film and and um, yeah it wasn't really graphic design but I'm sure there was a small part of it that was
1: (laughs) yeah so like that's that's where I learned the tools Um, and then after the tools came the theory I guess you know and just being intrigued by um, graphic design and like design in general as a discipline and then I started just like doing stuff like, you know, um, flyers for my cousin's band or posters for local groups. Um, and that's how it, it just took off.
0: That's really cool. So you was basically, I guess, at college kind of introduced to it, you know, in, a I guess, a fairly small way. And you use your own initiative to... Uh, kind of develop and grow as a graphic designer and uh, you know when it come come to your studies it was more like just a seed really am am I understanding that right
1: (laughs) yeah yeah definitely you know because we went uh, I wasn't studying design and like my head at the time was really into film but it just sort of like happened you know started being exposed to the design students started being asked to um, help out with a flyer or other types pro- types of projects um so yeah you know I just it just ended up being something I like doing mostly like for fun I didn't see didn't see it at the time as like a career or anything like that um I enjoyed doing it so I just like doing it I guess
0: mm-hmm. well I, something that you do a lot now that I I see you're sharing on social media is logo design but like very minimal and you do very minimal art and stuff like that. Where where did the, the, the passion for that come from? Well, I think, you know,
1: you always try to make the things you like, right? And, like, I'm um, I'm a minimal person in, in general. Like, I don't tend to, like, you know, a lot of stuff, like, a lot of mess. And, like, aesthetically, that is true, too. And also, like, there's my limitations. I think, like, the limitations um, kind of paved the way for me to be more into minimal stuff. Cause like, I was not great at drawing. I didn't have like the childhood experience of like drawing and painting, like some other, you know, designers mm-hmm. seem to have that history. Um, so like, because I wasn't a great uh, drawer and I was trying to, you know, do what I could and what I could do was also what I liked looking at. So it kind of, you know, happened naturally and just continue doing more of it and
0: yeah 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 I I think a a, a lot of graphic designers start in similar ways in that they that they do these things as a hobby and those hobby pieces end up becoming what gets a a job and so on um so I I think we should talk about some of that stuff because I'm I'm aware that you work as a freelancer primarily for an agency is that right yes okay do you want to talk a little bit about how you originally got into that so how so you we we know that you found this passion for graphic design you you know from doing uh media studies and you you started working on projects for yourself things that you enjoyed things that you uh like to look at basically so how did you go from that to actually uh becoming a like a graphic designer, employed or or freelance? Um, So then I moved to
1: London um, about 13 years ago. And um, this was also to pursue a career in film. But I ended up, you know, film was um, very hard to make a living of. And at the time, so when I first started looking for jobs, I got a job as a graphic designer. Um, It was quite interesting. I I was working for a charity in East London. Um, And what they did was like, they gave sex education in schools but in this particular part of East London there's quite a lot of you know it's quite diverse in terms of religion so they had to navigate this you know very complex and like specific set of sex.
0: interesting.
1: Whilst educating kids in school about um, well you know about sex and all of that. Yeah. Um, so I started doing their brochures and powerpoints and like all the materials they needed to you know go into schools and and um, do what they do um so yeah so that was my first job as a graphic designer
0: oh wow an interesting first job to get can I just ask so you you went to London you was it it sounds like your main passion then was film Mm -hmm. how how did you end up basically looking for jobs in the film industry but getting a graphic design job did was there a portfolio you had or was it just a case of being in the right place at the right time?
1: Well, I know I had my work from 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 school. You know, I still had like a sure. little portfolio, I guess, from design. And like, interestingly enough, my first business cards um, had, you know, the two sides. One side of it said filmmaker and the other side said graphic designer.
0: Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> so I was doing, you know, I was doing both without like choosing one or the other. I was doing as much as I could of one and as much as I could of the other, you know for, for a long time. But yeah, my, you know, my first job was a graphic designer and I always did that concurrently as trying to work in the film industry and working in the film industry. So yeah, I was like freelancing in both. Um, and which I think, you know, one always helps the other having an eye for design makes you a better filmmaker and like knowing storytelling as a filmmaker, I think helps a lot in making you a better designer. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. I, um, when I was younger it's been a long time since I've really been interested in it but I also wanted to make films at one point and uh, I took s- script writing courses and stuff. It's, it's a lot of fun and there is clearly an overlap in uh, skills from graphic design to film so I can see how you ended up wanting to do both. Um, and so are you, are you still interested in the film stuff or have you you know completely gone all in on graphic design now and, and committed to that one direction?
1: Uh, well, no, I'm fully committed to, to, to graphic design. It's definitely like my career, but I still really like um, writing, and you know, I've been writing um, ever since, and like continue. I noticed to-
0: that on your LinkedIn. I was going to ask you about that because uh, writing is uh, a skill set that not many graphic designers have, and I think you're in a very unique position when you are a graphic designer that can write, um, because you know you can pretty much. Create anything and do anything because those are the two main things for um I, I guess creating a a, a business because you can you can develop your own product and then build your own website right or your own marketing material. You are literally your own single handed um <laughs> business owner it's it's a great position to be in to be able to do both
1: yeah yeah i I even worked as a copywriter for a little while It was in oh, Portuguese. Wow. So, um, you know, we, we, it was in London, but we had um, Portuguese clients. So, yeah, it was in Portuguese. It wasn't in English. So I wouldn't say like <laughs> <my> <laughs> copywriting is, is all that. But, um, yeah, no, you know, I continue to, to be interested in film. Um, but, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, you've. I mean, it comes with a career because what I've personally found is that uh, your career kind of shapes you as a person. Um, because, you know, when it comes around to work, I, I know you work as a freelancer, but, you know, we, you mentioned prior to the call that you are kind of more focused towards working for one uh, company most of the time. But I find that working for companies, it, it really shapes you as an individual. That's what I found, anyway, personally.
1: Definitely, definitely. You know, and like the, the projects I'm working at, um, at the moment. Um, with, um, you know, Loyal Casper, that's who I'm freelancing for. Um, it's all pretty much, you know, geared, their their client portfolio is very much geared to um, film, and te- film and television. Right. So, you know, it's, uh, it's like I was born for this in a way, or like, you know, um, <laughs> all my past experience kind of like...
0: All fall into place. Yeah. It's good to be in, it's good to be in that place. And I think that's when you found your... Um, you know your real passion really is when you've been lucky enough to find like a career that brings everything together so yeah. I, I want to put some focus on loyal, uh, loyal it's Loyal Casper right yes so this is an agency if I understand right in New York is that correct it is yes okay so you are working as I guess a full-time freelancer for them how did somebody in london get a full-time freelancer <laughs> job in new york how did that come about
1: <laughs> well the, the great thing about this agency is that um they're very remote um, minded they they always have been they're kind of like ahead of the curve i wish some agencies in the uk were a bit like that mm-hmm. um and i i had worked uh, with them on a number of projects in the past over the years.
0: So were they just like ad hoc one-off things now and again?
1: Yeah, because you know when they have like really big projects, that, um, as all agencies, you know, they try and gather um, other designers to help out. Mm-hmm. So I had worked with um, with them a few times. And um, sorry
0: to interrupt. How did they find you for those original jobs? Was that through like Behance or something like that?
1: Um. I'm not sure, you know, I think maybe maybe Instagram at the time, maybe my website, sure. I'm not sure. It was, it, was, it was quite a few years ago as well.
0: Um, yeah, that's really cool. So basically you've been, because I, I noticed that's something that you you do, you, you post a lot of work on different channels. So, you know, you you are quite active on your Instagram, you're quite active on Behance, a founder profile on uh, Pinterest. You, you seem to have your work posted everywhere. And it goes to show that, that doing that is is a great way of agencies, uh, you know, when they're looking out for uh, talent to to be involved in the project. That they they look at these channels, and you was lucky enough to uh, be found, and now you're in this position where you're full time. So so you were doing these old jobs, and then like one day, did they just ask you if they can basically um, take you on pretty much full time freelance?
1: Oh, you know, they were looking for someone full-time, but, you know, I just, we jumped on it, you know, and, and and, um, well, I was lucky enough that, you know, they um, said yes, you know, and they they wanted to work with me. Um, Because, you know, as I said to them at the time, it was always my dream to work with them because of the the clients um, they work with um, and because of the work they do also, you know, I always really loved it and admired it. Um, you know, I've worked with other agencies, freelance with other agencies, but this one in particular, you know, it was literally because of the, the, the film and television thing, because of the work they put out. Um, so I, I was so, you know, I always wanted to work with them full time, but I didn't know that was an option. So, yeah, you know, when the option, the opportunity came,
0: you know, I, I went for it. Sure, sure. Can I, do you mind me uh, asking, how does this relationship work with this agency? Because like you mentioned you are you're based in London they are a New York agency you're basically hired freelance but like what what does the average day look like like how do they communicate with you and if you could talk through I don't know how much you're allowed to talk through but could you give us an idea of what that relationship looks like because I think there's probably um, graphic designers out there that would probably love to have this kind of thing where they have the independence of being freelance, but then the um, security, I put security in quote marks, but the the security of working with a, a company full time in that capacity.
1: Um, well, you know, I, I think a lot of agencies are starting to doing that now, you know, after, especially since the pandemic, but mm-hmm. it is, you know, it's a remote setup, you know, we, we use tools like Slack. And so we are in, like, constant um, conversation. Like, you know, we the projects as if we were in-house, really. Look, there's not much difference. I think, like, it allows everyone to also be a little bit more creative without, you know, having to be stuck in a room. Like, sometimes, you know, when I used to freelance with agencies, you end up being stuck in a room with, with people. And, like, you know, even though, like, a lot of agencies still think that that's the most productive way, um, personally, I found the opposite whenever I, work.
0: Yeah, I I find it really funny um so I've been working for myself basically at home for a couple of years now but where I used to work we would all go to the office in some cases it would be like an hour there and an hour back and we'd maybe have some pleasantries in the morning where it's like hey how's things you know some small talk but in general most people walked in sat down none of us spoke with each other really because we're so absorbed in our work that the the whole point of actually coming together into one location kind of doesn't really make any sense anymore um since we've got slack we've got zoom we've got we literally got all these tours that just make it so easy to work from anywhere in the world um I think the only advantage uh really of all being in the same location but I think you can fabricate this online if if everyone's uh, prepared to is that you can build relationships with the people you build friendships you know there's um, stuff that you just can't do online so easily and and things like client meetings and stuff like that but in general like the the idea of the workplace it's you know having these companies that are uh, have people scattered all over the world i just think it makes so much more sense because it opens the talent pool
1: yeah
0: like especially as a graphic design company like why why limit yourself as an agency owner to only the people within like a 5 to 10 mile radius of where your agency is it's just ridiculous when when there are these tours and stuff that allow you to work in this way. And and as an owner, that means that you can hire the best people for the job. <laughs> it just seems ludicrous to to not do that. So it's really nice to hear that um, this is becoming more normal now.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, it, it is what you just said, you know, you're able to drop, you know, the, the talent pool is just so much, you know, bigger and probably, you know, better, <laughs> right? Yeah you just find like local designers and like you know it's it's yeah it's definitely a a big big um, positive change in the industry i think
0: is there anything that they do to encourage the team to get to know each other because like i said that that's one of the main advantages of of um working for an agency and I'll, i'll give you a little bit of background on kind of what i'm getting to here so at the company that I used to work at, the main head office was in uh, was near Reading, and there was a point where I started working more remote. Um, so I relocated to Manchester, and I was working in a smaller office. And although it was easy to do the work, and uh, to be honest, I, I could have done exactly the same thing from home. One of the problems that I started having is that there was this disconnect from. The main head office, like they was obviously having meetings that I wasn't being included in, and you know there was stuff that was happening just because people were all in the same room that excluded anyone that wasn't in that office. So that would have included all of the um, staff that worked in the other places. So uh, it kind of, I guess, there was more like this clicky group that was, uh, you know, in the office. And everyone remote didn't quite have that same relationship with everyone. But I do think there's ways of solving this. I'm wondering if this particular agency, which, like you said, is, is based in New York, are there things that they are doing to make sure that everybody is getting to know each other uh, well and uh, properly involved in everything and not feeling less left out and stuff like that?
1: Well, the thing is, they've been doing it for so long. I think, you know, they had everything set up. Um, you know when the mm. pandemic hit already because they've been doing it for years so um, you know they've perfected this and it's like you know it's it's an open conversation it literally is just like being in house but you know with with the little extra positive but yeah you know there's constant conversation we have lots of zoom meetings um, you know lots of video meetings and like I think
0: that's the key really is lots of meetings communication is all um, in the same place so that you are involved in everything yeah, which I think is key. I think that's really like if there's anyone listening that wants to build an agency that's doing this kind of thing, which I think is great because, you know, even as freelancers, we a group of freelancers could build an agency really easily now. Um, but yeah, the key to it is, like you said, regular video calls, uh, uh, I, I guess, transparent conversation on things like Slack. Uh, it all makes sense. The the company that I used to work at, they didn't have any of this. So, um, uh, conversations were happening that you know, if you wasn't in the room, you would miss out.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I don't know. They they are not like that. <laughs> <laughs> really open and friendly, you know. It's it's yeah. This setup is a lot less stuffy than like you know some some of uh, um, the agencies.
0: It's more forward thinking, and it's it's. Um, I, I think this is going to become well, I think it already has become more normal. I, I think the pandemic has really pushed this forward. So it's it's no longer like forward thinking. It's like, this is just the normal way of working now, which is really good. Yeah,
1: definitely. I think it's better
0: for everyone. Oh yeah, absolutely. Better work-life balance. Something, something I do want to ask you about. So you've kind of done the whole freelancing for yourself, freelancing for an agency. So you're obviously now... I guess working for a team how do you find working for like a team versus working on projects for yourself do you prefer working in a in a team with others definitely, what, definitely. what's the benefits that come with that you know working with collectively with uh, a group of other people
1: well you know the work is better from the start you know you 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 sharing a project and everyone's putting efforts into the same thing and, you know, working with like amazing creative directors and, um, you know, everything is just, you, you can't stop keeping on learning. Um, and at the same time, everyone's working towards the same goal. And like, you know, when it's just me by myself, like without anyone to bounce off from, um, well, you know, the results were good, but you know, like now I really feel like we are achieving something all together, you know, as a team, um, I prefer it definitely.
0: Yeah I can see pros and cons of both because I've worked in companies and and for myself and I think having someone there to bounce ideas off and other people to push you and I think sometimes also there's um, I, I don't know if you have this but there's a little bit of competition between you as well like where I used to work uh we had another graphic designer and i always wanted to do work better than him so when he did amazing work it's like i need to get better at this and it really pushes you to uh constantly improve and i think that's it's it's like a healthy competition and uh, you know that's harder to um get when working for yourself
1: well you know it's just like literally like being working towards the same thing and you know especially mm-hmm. like the scale of projects you know it's much different than like um working for like my clients, they were much smaller businesses and brands. So, you know, being part of something bigger, you know, and working with other designers, you know, and, and of course, you know, I, I think I've learned a lot from the other designers I work with. And um, yeah, you know, I I think it's, it's great. <laughs>
0: Just before moving on to the second half of the podcast, I want to once again give a shout out to the perfect match who have kindly sponsored this episode. What I want you to do is take part in a quick mood board design exercise. And if you take part, you will get a $50 gift card for your submission. And if your mood board design communicates clearly you could become a contestant on Adobe's monthly live streaming game show for a chance to win $1,000. Throughout August and September, on top of that amazing $1,000 prize, you'll also win a Wacom Tablet 2. And for each entry submitted over those two months, They'll also be donating $25 to the National Partnership for Women and Families supporting women's and children's rights. It's a win for you and a win for people in need. So take 30 minutes out of your day to take part in The Perfect Match. If you want to learn more about that and to enter, head to theperfectmatch.co forward slash play. Anyway, let's get back to that interview. One thing I, I want to go into. So your logo designs on, online. So I'll link to your portfolio in the show notes. But you do these uh, very minimal, uh, simple logos. And I just want to say for the audience that isn't aware of this, but doing something simple Is really hard (laughs) and and people don't always realize that that people that are very good at, at minimal logo designs that are distinct and original and you know capture everything about the company achieving that is is hard and that seems to be something that you are very good at so I'd love to spend a little bit of time talking about like your um approach and process and and um yeah yeah how you go about approaching creating something like a logo so would you mind talking through and go into as much detail as you wish um Mm -hmm. talk through like how do you approach uh, like a logo project from start to finish
1: well I think you know the the first step is trying to find out the story you know like um what's the story of the company or the the brand um what story they're trying to tell what story they're trying to sell um so I think that that's where I start And then I try to put that into a logo (laughs) and, you know, there's a lot of sketching involved. Um, I like looking at everything out there. I don't like looking at, um, you know, logos out there so much anymore, because just Mm -hmm. you're looking at the same stuff and you're going to end up replicating the same stuff, you know, over and over. Yeah. So um, I try and look at like things that are outside um, logo design. So like a lot of art and for instance, and. Um, like kids books I like looking you know
0: illustrations on on kids books. how interesting you know I interviewed someone yesterday that said the the same thing that they like looking at kids books
1: yeah because they they tend to be you know it's really simple so it's it's a good start you know like how do they do this you know it's so simple um so yeah I I like looking at that kind of stuff Um, interesting just you know you're always trying to create a shape that is the, the the simplest it could be, you know. And sometimes you start with something complex and you strip it down as much as you um, you can to the absolute essentials, where you're still communicating a message, um, but you know don't have anything else there. Um, but yeah, you know, just like starting from simple shapes and um, drawing inspiration from all these the different um, um, arts, um, and yeah, you know, sketching, and then I move on to digital. And I create a few concepts and then it's just a constant conversation between um me and the client.
0: Okay, I wanna go into a few of these things in more detail. I think that's a really good overview. So one of the first steps, you describe this as understanding their story. And that's something that I've not heard many graphic designers say. That it's normally like they 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 call it like the research phase or whatever, but you described it as a story. How are you going about understanding what that story is?
1: Well, you know, who are they? Who, who are the people behind this brand? You know, why are they, uh, why did they create it? You know, what are they trying to do? Um, I think that's like really important to try and understand why the business or the brand exists.
0: So it's a conversation. You're, you're having a one-on-one conversation with them to understand this?
1: Yeah, it's a conversation and also research, you know, trying to to, to put yourself in the shoes of, of the people who are creating this brand or this product and, like, you know, trying to understand, like, why are you doing this, you know? Where does it come from? Um, I think, like, that helps me um, get in the same wavelength as, as the clients and, like, trying to understand, okay, who do we need to, to attract? What would those people like? You know, that's a story in itself, too. So, you know, I think that all helps in, like, then translate into like okay so what does that look like you know um I think like yeah definitely the first step is a little bit for me more emotional and vague Mm -hmm. um and then it's only you know afterwards that we move okay so what does that look like
0: (laughs) yeah I think I think it's an interesting way to um approach it because I mean I I guess you know there's people probably listening that's like that's the same as a, a normal process but actually I, I like how you described it that this is a story, you know, like a story like like from a book, say, and now you are translating that into some kind of imagery in some way. And I think that's kind of come from your uh film background, that you yeah. know, this is this is the story on paper, and now we need to turn this into a movie, and um you're uh, your your process has clearly been inspired from that background and that passion for uh, film. Definitely,
1: yeah, definitely.
0: Now, I I also want to go into uh, what you said about uh, sketching and maybe starting with something complicated and simplifying it down. And I think this is like your key strength. This is something that you're incredibly good at. And um, I think as Uh, logo designers this is one area that uh people need to be really good at because uh, and again it came from a conversation I was having a a couple of days ago with logo design there's a lot of uh, I I think graphic designers out there that um, believe that a logo should be simple but they take it so simple that it's literally lifeless Mm-hmm. that it's just got nothing special about it that it's just boring and it could base like that symbol could be used for any company like there's nothing distinct or original or special about it but you don't do that like all of your logos have they are minimal but they have something to it still like it's it's that nice balance between being simple but having a layer of complexity to it so that it's still distinct and special in some way so can you sort of describe in more detail this simplification process so like you you said that you create something sometimes complicated and then minimize it down can you talk through like how how are you approaching that if you can like if you can articulate that in words in some way how do you take something Uh, complicated and then start stripping it down Uh, how are you approaching that
1: well you know if it's something like representational like you know you have to um if you're drawing an animal or or a um i don't know a, a face something like that you know you literally you know your first drawing will probably be a lot more complex um than than what the end product needs to be so it literally is about like taking uh, one line out or you know sometimes it's like that other times it's 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 just starts being by being simple you know <laughs> I literally you know like especially like if I if I not I wouldn't say skip but if um, my sketches aren't on paper and it's digitally then like I find it like working with the grid um, from the start instead of like free and um, drawing already like helps me reach minimal solutions, mm-hmm. you know? So um, yeah, you know, it's just putting um, as little as few elements as you can to create something, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. I, I think if I understand it right, and I, I mean, I, I take this approach too, but you would basically say so you've, got this story from your client you are then sketching down i guess what you th- think the story could look like but you're not at that point worrying too much about minimizing it down you're just getting the the raw idea down on paper and then you are considering okay what can i take away while still maintaining that and and um i don't know if you take the same approach but something i've seen uh, i think it was Aaron Draplin that i first saw do this but he will Create something, and then he will. Uh, so he tends to work directly in Illustrator on a lot of stuff. But mm-hmm. he will draw it, copy it, and then minimize it down a bit, and then copy it, and then minimize it down a bit, and then copy it, and and keeping all previous versions. And what that allows him to do is, if he minimizes it down to the point that it loses something special, then he can go back to the previous one. Mm -hmm. um and uh i think i don't know if that's the approach that you take but i think that's one method of simplifying and and creating something minimal without losing that charm or that special element to it because you just keep stripping it down until you lose it and then obviously you know go back to what you believe is like the um, maximum message using the minimum means i think that's a good way of, of describing that
1: yeah, def- no, no, definitely. You know, that's that's um, that's also um, part of my process. You know, other times, you know, if it's an abstract shape, I don't know if it works quite like that. Um, you know what? Maybe it is the opposite. Maybe with abstract shapes, it's it's more like what you just um, said about Aaron Draplin, uh, what his process is, and like maybe it's when it's representational that I tr- that I try and create something um, with you know the simplest shapes. So mm-hmm. yeah. Just like pick out the circle and the square and the line. And like, how can you do, you know, make an animal or um, any kind of representational symbol out of these various elements?
0: Sure. And um, based on something that you said a little bit earlier, grids is an important part of your approach as well. Do you mind talking through how you, I mean, it's, it's really hard because it's a visual thing and we're talking about it, but how are you using grids?
1: Um, well, you know, I, I work on just like a, a very simple grid, and I work in really small sizes, also, to make sure that everything looks good, tiny to begin with, um, and then I just make sure that everything fits in the, the in the grid, and um, and it's only then that I realize, oh, you know, I need to change this bit a, a little bit, and it no longer fits on the grid, but you know, it's just the way it is.
0: Yeah were you given yourself limitations from the beginning yeah. <laughs> that I think that's an interesting thing in its own right um because people well I don't personally work in that way so I I always st- start with the freedom of like uh, uh, a white piece of paper basically and um, I don't restrict myself to grids but what you're doing is giving yourself the limitations from the outset trying to make it work within those limitations and then if you need to break outside of that you're then giving yourself the freedom to but you're doing all 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 that you can to stick within those uh limitations and I think that's a really interesting approach
1: yeah definitely you know yeah, that's definitely what I do yeah first try and fit it in and like if it doesn't work um, all nice and tidy, then like, you know, broadening, start broadening and like getting off the grid. Um, sure. That's fine, you know, because you, you're you trying to reach uh, the best solution. You know, the goal isn't to have it perfectly fit on the grid. The goal is mm-hmm. to um, reach the, the perfect solution for the brand.
0: Mm-hmm. I noticed something else you do as well. So you do a lot of logos, but something I really like about your work, you do these like minimal vector art things. Um I assume that's a personal project. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they're like tiny paintings but vector using minimal shapes. So I guess that you know, technically they could be used as a logo, but they're clearly like just minimal little abstract uh vector artworks and they're they're really nice. I really like them.
1: Yeah, it's just another, you know, way to to express myself, you know, I think, you know, especially, you know, because when you don't have the outputs, you know, if my head is not um, completely ready in the moment to to write, you know, then like you still need to to express yourself, you know, and that's another way I find, you know, also like as a little warm up, you know, takes me a little time to get into the zone when designing a logo, for instance, Mm -hmm. So I find that, like, starting by doing something else that is, you know, also using the same software and um, you end up then being in the zone and just, like, jumping to what you actually should be doing. So that's how those things come about.
0: I assume that you're experimenting too.
1: Definitely, definitely. You know, you always want to try new things. You can't, you know, um, as a designer, you you always have to be constantly evolving. So, yeah, you know, it's definitely part of experimenting.
0: I like these like creative exercises that you are doing because I I can see how uh, where things are coming from so say if you've looked through a a children's book and I think um, if I understand right the reason why you're looking in the children's book because uh, somebody has taken um, I, I guess a complex thing and minimized it down and that's a good source of inspiration to see how people have Uh, strip that down and then you're you've started these like personal projects you know these little illustrations which based on what you just said then you're just doing these as and when you know you want some warm-up exercise uh, and and you want to get uh, in in the flow of um creating something you're using that inspiration to just create anything and you're experimenting with things and creating these like really um I guess I I think beautiful minimal pieces of of artwork that um, are are, are really great but I can see how doing that is is really benefiting your work because you can test and experiment with things and they could end up being solutions that you then apply to a logo one day
1: definitely definitely you know yeah it helps you you know just find out something new Um, everything does you know you're just always finding something new and then you try it out in, in the next project or maybe the next mm-hmm. one. Um, yeah, you know, just finding new ways of doing things or, like, being exposed to different things and then wanting to try them out. Um, yeah, it's it's all part of it. And I Thank do enjoy you. it.
0: Yeah, I can see that. It's, it's nice and, uh, you know, people should go and check those out because they're just nice pieces of artwork but I, I think for anyone that's really into logo design it's like you're taking your logo design skills but making art out of it and I think it's um you know a nice little skill. Okay something else I want to ask you about so Logo Lounge so for anyone that's that's not aware of Logo Lounge Bill Gardner has been on this podcast uh, previously but basically he has this uh website where you can uh create an account and then upload Uh, your logos and you get access to this database of uh, logos and inspiration and it's um, uh, fantastic but something that he does every year and he's been doing it now for I think this is his 13th year since it's book 13 that's just came out um, he uh, uh, releases a book but obviously there's been tens of thousands of logos that have been uploaded over the duration of the year so That needs to be narrowed down to, I think it's like 3000 logos, which then get put into a book and to help him do that, he picks a jury and, um, I've been lucky enough to be on that jury previously. Um, but from what I understand is he picks out what he believes is the best, uh, talent in the industry at that particular time to, uh, choose the very best pieces of work and bill picked you as uh one of the uh judges for the last book so congratulations for that can you talk a little bit about that experience because i think people would love to hear a little bit more about this
1: oh you know it was just it, it, it was amazing <laughs> i really enjoyed it um very difficult also um to do that uh, to to you know have to look at all these logos um and um see them out of context you know cuz how often do you see logos just out of context right mm-hmm. having to judge them just purely on um on aesthetic and like execution it was quite a difficult task but at the same time you know it was, it was it was awesome you know i really really enjoyed um you know having to to put yourself in the position of like judging everything you know objectively and like um, just appreciate um them as art in a way you know and instead of just you know logos um yeah it was it was great experience I'm really grateful for it
0: it's it's the process so when I it was a long time ago that I was involved in it but at that time uh you basically needed to give uh each logo a score between zero and three is that still the um, approach for this or is there a different method that they're using now?
1: Um, I don't remember if it's from, it was a while ago as well, you know. So I'm not quite sure if it was from zero to three, but it's definitely that same process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah, I remember, you know, having to look at maybe like a page or 10 and then you would score each one. And I, I think um, it'd be interesting to hear your experience. But when I was involved in it, I wanted to make sure that those that I was given the highest score for uh, should have the highest score because it's really hard to go through. Like you're going, um, I I don't think you go through all like 40,000. I think he separates them into different people. So, you know, you go through a a few thousand and um, you want to make sure that you give the highest score to the very best. So something I would do is, go through all of those I gave a three to and just make sure you know are they all equally as good because the any that's going to get a three I'm basically saying this is like a badge of honor and this should go into the book um so was was that similar for you or it'd be good to to you know hear your your take on that
1: well, you know, I realized at the be- uh, at the beginning I was being very stingy, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, and you know, then I had to keep going back and like looking at things objectively. No, you know, this is this is better. I was than-
0: doing that too, back and forth.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, this is better than than um, when I first looked at it. You know, I didn't see the this little detail. I didn't see how well executed it was. You know, and it's just yeah, I just kept going back and forth and looking. You know, at things. Uh, over and over again to make sure I was like, you know, immersing myself in that logo. It was yeah, um it was a really hard task. Um, <laughs> but you know this, some of them just like grew every time that you looked at them you found something new. And um yeah it was it was interesting. You know, what well, at first I didn't quite like this one, but now I'm I'm seeing something in yeah, and then like, you know, you look at it for the fifth time and it's like, oh my gosh, this is my favorite logo or something, you know? <laughs> um
0: were, were there any that really stood out for you like that one? Um,
1: well, you know, the the, the one I picked the the um, Perio's um one like um I just loved it. I you know, it's just so happy, you know, and like there was lots of logos, um, but it's been a while. I don't remember um them all anymore. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, it was that there was quite a lot that is just like, mm, I, I want to know who you are, you know, because it's all anonymous. So yeah, who did this?
0: <laughs> it does end up saying it in the book. But when you are judging, you literally just see the image. Exactly. All you see is that Lego and you, you got no idea who uh, worked on it, the story behind it, the, the come like literally it's, it's all out of context. And uh, um Uh, I mean I've got mixed thoughts on that approach but in in general uh, everything that goes into those Logo Lounge books visually they are the best um, uh, uh, visual forms and I think that ends up allowing like those books to to be really good inspiration for visual ideas and for uh, ways of putting things together so I think it's a good um, a good source of inspiration, and they clearly, you know, pick a good group of people to uh, pick them out. Because you, you know, you went back, back and forth through things to make sure that you judged everything correctly. So it's, you know, it's a good sign.
1: Yeah, and it's just, you know, um it's, it's an amazing tool technically, you know, because you're looking at the the at the logos out of context, you know, without any thoughts about the brands behind it and you know what they're trying to do and you just literally like looking at its execution and like how they look um i think it's great technically you know for inspiration mm-hmm. um to you know
0: mm-hmm. absolutely okay uh, one other topic i want to ask you about um so i noticed um so i i looked at your uh instagram and the link that you uh have on there and you got links to like prints and uh, vectors that you have for sale and I I think with graphic designers we're in this very fortunate position where we can relatively easily have multiple revenue streams so in your case you've got your I guess I'm going to say full-time job even though you're working uh, freelance but you're also uh, working on these other revenue streams, so you have prints that you sell, you have vectors that you you sell as well. do you mind talking through some of this as well? like like because clearly you are working towards having multiple revenue streams and I'd love to hear your uh, thoughts on that
1: well, you know it didn't quite start like that like I'm not a very business minded person whatsoever like I'm not very um, you know I'm inclined that way. Um, it was more about just like experimenting. You know, and like trying to do stuff. Hmm, we Part of what the, the process we discussed a little earlier. Um, so, yeah, you know, I didn't do it with that intention of like mm-hmm. having multiple revenue streams. Although like that's definitely something that other designers that are a little bit more business minded should totally pursue. Because, you know, it's it's, it's great, right? Because it's you're getting money on things you've already did. Um, <laughs> you're not having to create something new to um, get paid. You're being paid for something you've done already. So mm-hmm. it's definitely something you know. If I was more business-minded, because I, you know, I never advertised or like spent uh, much time into it, and like I don't have like a big body of um work of things to sell. But if I was more like that, it would have been something I, I would have invested more of my time on for sure.
0: It's well, it's- I think it just goes to show, like as um graphic designers and I I try to mention it often because there are there is no I don't believe there's any other industry where a single person has all of the skill set that they need to start a company because we can create the logo we can create the website and if you can write as well which is uh true in your case and my case we can write all the all of the content for uh, the website if we want to create products, we can do the the artwork for like t shirts and stuff like that, and there's all these sites out there that allow you to uh sell them on there, so you know we can single handedly really easily as graphic designers create an income, <laughs> whether that's getting a job or creating products through these other things and um I mean something I'm thinking you are creating these minimal vector arts as um you you know kind of fun and and to um get you in the flow of creating those so you're already creating something uh really nice and at the moment you are sharing that on um instagram and and behance and stuff like that but you could so easily sell those in other ways and i mean you are already kind of doing that but you you're already creating it so you could easily generate an income from something that you're just doing for fun and I think that that's the beauty of uh being a graphic designer whether you're business minded or not if if you're just creating that and then sticking it somewhere where people can buy it then uh if you make a you know a bit of passive income from that then it's great if you don't it doesn't matter because you are doing it anyway
1: (laughs) yeah definitely it's exactly you got nothing to lose (laughs) absolutely you know like yeah you just need to dedicate some time into like you know putting the right thing onto the right platform and like that's the bit where i'm like oh i just you know it's just yeah if you if you uh, have a short attention span like i do uh, <laughs> you know it's not um yeah but if you you know if you are able to be like just a little bit more dedicated like there's so many opportunities for you to create very different businesses you know and Being able to manage them all and um yeah have like multiple revenue streams for sure
0: yeah absolutely well we've covered a lot in this interview so i think now is probably a good time to wrap this up but now it's been really great to be able to uh, spend some time with you and to uh, chat through things i I think uh, you know for me personally learning how you're approaching simplifying uh, logos down is is uh really useful information so thank you so much for your time and uh yeah appreciate you being on
1: thank you Ian. thank you so much have a lovely time thank you
0: if you want to connect with nadia and check out her work i recommend checking out her dribble uh which you can find by heading to dribble.com forward slash nadia castro So I'll link to that along with her social profiles in the show notes for this episode, along with a transcription of this conversation too. So if you wanna check that out, head to logogeek.uk forward slash 143. And don't forget to take 30 minutes out of your day to create a quick mood board design and enter it into the perfect match. And by doing that, you're going to be gifted with a $50 gift voucher for your submission and be in the chance to win $1,000. So to learn more about that and to enter, head to theperfectmatch.co forward slash play. So thank you so much for listening and I'll be back the same time next week for another exciting episode of the Logo Geek podcast.